Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,636. We are going fast today. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. I can't tell you how revved up and excited I am today. I've got a guest calling in from across the pond in Oxford in the UK by the name of Richard Noble. Richard, welcome to Cars Yeah. Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Absolutely, Mark. Yeah, are you? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I'm going to hold on, I think, here. And you listeners who may not know this name, you probably all do because you're car people, we're in for a very, very fast ride today with a guy that has gone faster than most anybody on this planet. Richard, before I do a proper introduction, though, and we're going to talk about his book as well, which I love the title, Take a Risk, would you share one little thing, this might be hard, that most people probably don't know about Richard Noble? Uh, well, yes, I'm a, um, I'm a bit of a boat freak, actually, oh. Mark. I've, um, I've done airplanes, and I'm now um, restoring a uh, Swedish patrol boat. Whoa, a Swedish patrol boat. That's cool. Yeah, which I love dearly, a thing called a Combat 90. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. You know, I had a friend up here in the Northwest that uh, used one of the uh, the boats that they use in the harbor here in the Pacific Northwest to kind of keep the bad guys down. And um, it's the, <laughs> it's the it's, they were, they're made for the military, but this guy somehow got the only domestic one. And every time he'd go out, the Coast Guard would stop him and go, who are you? How did you get this boat? And he'd have to show him the papers and everything. But he was a hard charger like you. He was a racer, a guy that liked to go fast, a really, really great yeah. guy. Lost him a few years, sadly. But uh, well, listen, let me give you a proper introduction. We're going to charge through this here. Richard Noble was brought up at a time of Great Britain's technical advances during the Cold War and was inspired by innovative record breakers such as John Cobb, whom he witnessed when he was just six years old in the innovative Crusader jet boat on Loch Ness in 1952. Uh, I'll have to ask him if uh, the Loch Ness Monster popped his head up then. <laughs> After education at Winchester College, his early career, first in insurance, then international sales with ICI, was gradually subsumed in the obsession with record breaking, which bore first fruit when he built Thrust One. That was uh, his first jet car in 1974. The rest, as they say, is history. And we're going to talk about a new book that Richard has written. He'd authored. It's titled Take a Risk, which I love. The amazing story of people who made possible Richard Noble's extreme projects on land, sea, and air. We're going to take a short break. We're going to thank our sponsors. But when we come back, you better have your seatbelt on because this guy knows how to go fast. Keep your seatbelt on. We'll be right back. Did you know that Covercraft is much more than car covers? They offer protection for the inside of your vehicles as well. No matter what kind of vehicle you drive, Covercraft makes a floor mat, a cargo area protection product just for your vehicle. Their plush custom fit floor mats turn any ride into something special. Their premier Berber custom floor mats, which are a favorite of mine, if you want something very stylish and unique for your favorite ride, they also have Weather Shield. Floor liners that provide ultimate protection for heavy dirt, mud, snow, and slush. Their Carhartt custom cargo liners not only look great, but keep your rear cargo area and seats protected from the kids, the pets, or whatever's going on back there. Do you have a pet that destroys your vehicles? 
Covercraft has you covered for that too with a wide variety of pet protection options. Is your vehicle getting a little long in tooth? There's no better way to give it a new car look than with a custom fit floor and trunk mat. I replace mine every few years with something a little different just for fun. All your options are easy to clean, they secure to the floor, and they look oh so good. Don't forget your trunk too. Custom fit trunk liners for sedans, coupes, and SUVs are perfect to protect the factory carpet from all those things that can stain, tear, and damage your carpets. Check out Covercraft.com for the huge number of styles, colors, and options that you'll love. And I've got a deal for you here at Cars Yeah. If you use the Yeah 120 code at Covercraft.com, you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order on me. Go to Covercraft.com, use the code Y-E-A-H-120 at checkout and get 10% off today. Covercraft, they've got you covered. American Collectors Insurance, that's who now protects my Porsche Turbo, the one I call my orange crush. They've been protecting vehicles since 1976. With all the time, effort, and money you've put into your classic vehicles, do you know how much you would receive if yours was stolen, damaged, or totaled in an accident or a fire? Your regular auto insurance carriers won't tell you until after the claim, and more than likely, you'll be in for a rude awakening. With an agreed value policy from American Collectors Insurance, you'll be paid your vehicle's full agreed value. No surprises. So don't just hope for a fair claim settlement. Be certain and know exactly what you'll get with an agreed value policy. I shopped around and decided to protect my car with American Collectors Insurance. Give them a call today for a quote at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866 866- 224-9324 and protect the ones you love. Tell them Mark Green at Cars Yeah sent you. That's American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors, folks just like you and me. All right, Richard, we're back. And as we continue on this amazing journey that we call your life, I'd love for you to share one little thing, uh, maybe a mantra or a success quote, something that has relevance to you, to what you've done. I say it's a nice way to get the tires smoking here on cars. Yeah, Richard, I know you love to go fast, so take the wheel. Mm. Well, to go fast requires money, of course, and it requires teamwork. And uh, one of the greatest things of all was the uh, hierarchy of needs, which was created by um, a very famous American psychologist, uh, Abraham Maslow. And this enables, if you follow what he does or what he taught, he's not with us anymore now. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, it helps you run an organization which is very fast, very efficient, and uh, and very, very inventive. So the whole basis of these projects which I've done are based on the, um, on the work of Abraham Maslow. Oh, it's fascinating. Well, let's dive into this because, my gosh, uh, remind our listeners, I will remind your listeners, our listeners first, that Richard uh, brought the land speed record. He broke it back in uh, 1983 in Thrust 2. The record is 633. Speed speed was 650.88. And then, if that wasn't enough, he went uh, uh, back about well, it was 14 years later. He went seven, was it 763 supersonic? Records? Do I have that yeah, one right? Yeah, that's right. Um, I wasn't driving this time. It was too difficult, basically, to both drive the uh, drive the car and also to to run the project. So I um, I saw a bit of sense there and concentrated on putting the project together. And Andy Green did the driving. 
And we were certainly the first to ever to achieve a supersonic world land speed record. Well, it's absolutely incredible. So I want you to talk about this book. And, and the first thing first, Take Risk. Uh, I love the title because nothing really phenomenal comes without taking great risk. Talk about that a little bit, would you? Yeah, you're so right, Mark. You see, the thing about it is that um, our economies have started to get very, very stale because people don't take risk. They're all totally and absolutely risk averse. Everything becomes more and more expensive because everything requires, um, uh, you know, additional risk analyses and um, they don't take risks. Yeah. Because they don't take risks, enormous commercial opportunities are lost. And uh, if you go back to World War II, at the end of World War II, of course, um, there was some tremendous technology around, but there were some amazing people who took risks. And we saw this first things happen big, big time, like, you know, the jet engine, the first jet, the first jet airliner, all these sort of things. And, um, and like, for instance, the E-Type Jaguar, for God's sake. Mm -hmm. This was all about taking risk. And we don't take risk these days. Why do you think that is? I think we're just playing safe. I think this is it's something to do with the economy. People, the bankers, maybe it's something to do with the bankers. They all just don't like people taking risk. Yeah. Trouble is, if you don't take risk, then you don't know how to take risk. And one of the fascinating things is with my career, we've done um, we've done land speed rocket cars, ships, airplanes, and we've taken risk on an enormous scale. And the result of which is you learn very quickly what works and what doesn't work because you're taking risk every day. But to the people who've never taken risk in their lives, they just don't have that skill. And it's very difficult when you're presenting a project to a, a large corporation and you say, yeah, and you can do this, this, and this. And they look at you sort of blankly because they've <laughs> never taken any risk, risk in their lives. So um, it's a very interesting situation. And of course, um, take, if you take risk, then this produces all sorts of new businesses, new opportunities, more employment, and apart from anything else, fun, a lot of fun. No doubt, no doubt. Well, let me kind of backtrack a little bit here and ask the question this way, and maybe we can get a little bit here today. We're not going to save the world or change everybody. However, we might instigate some risk from some listeners here who are willing to do something after listening to your amazing life. I always like to ask people about their why. And when you talk about, you know, the proverbial, why do you climb the mountain? Why do you take that risk? I want to ask you that, Richard. Why did you take all these risks to go faster and faster and faster? Well, I've got a simple answer to that, Mark. It's why not? <laughs> there you go. I love simplicity <laughs> and I love your frankness. You know, um, you're only on this planet once and yes. you might as well enjoy it and see what you can do, you know? <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, I love that. I mean, it's, it just, it's absolutely classic. One of the things about this book that I love, Richard, and it tells me a lot about the kind of person that you are, the subtitle is The Amazing Story of People Who Made Possible, Richard Noble's Extreme Projects on Land, Sea, and Air. You talk in this book an awful lot about not just you, but others. Yeah. And I would assume that's a big part of taking a risk is bringing people with you, bringing people on board, getting them excited about your project. That's not easy, is it? That's really not easy, um, particularly, of course, if you're doing a high-risk project like the land speed record. Um, that's really not easy. But um, you've, got to, you've got to demonstrate that um, participation in the project will bring them benefits which they couldn't otherwise get. So, for instance, when we were doing the uh, the Bloodhound uh, Thousand Mile Now Car program, uh, basically uh, the project was being followed in in 200 countries. 
I mean, the scale of this thing is absolutely enormous. Mm. And of course, these companies could never get that kind of exposure. So we were able to facilitate that and give them an, a fantastic opportunity. Wow. You know, I love everything about this. When you decided to undertake this book, what was your main reason for writing it and putting it out there? It's very interesting, Mark. It just happened to me one day. I was um, we've done we've done a number of other books which are um, earlier, and there's a, there's a very successful one called Thrust, yes, uh, which is the story of the Thrust SSC project and the projects before that. But um, it suddenly occurred to me that I hadn't really thanked the wonderful people who may help make this thing possible. Mm-hmm. And these people are very brave because they're all immured in large organizations. Um, they've got to jo- kind of join the join the project, mm-hmm. risk their budgets on our behalf, join us, help us, and as I say, take risk. And of course, we'd never ever done this before. So I thought it was absolutely essential, therefore, that uh, in the book we should try and do this. And um, the amazing deals that we did in order to somehow keep the project going. Because the thing about these projects is you've got to keep them moving all the time. They've got to move every single day, every hour, every minute, it's got to move forward. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and so you've got to have all these deals going and in development, et cetera, which will keep it going. Well, no doubt that keeping these deals going and what you've done with your life comes with a lot of challenge. And I always ask my guests to share a challenge or even a huge failure. Now, it's almost silly for me to ask you that because what you've undertaken in your life, a challenge. I mean, it's just everything can go wrong. It will go wrong and it has gone wrong. And I I read in your book uh, one part where thrust two, you had your shoots fail and you left a 4,000 foot uh, skid mark. And then you were only going 180 when that ended and you left the track. And of course you had an incident there. I'd love for you to share a couple of the most memorable challenges, failures, whatever you want to share that really kind of maybe for a brief moment, I think having gotten to know you here a little bit, you were never deterred, but maybe kind of set you back going, whoa, this is a little more challenging than I thought. So take us on a couple of your wild journeys, would you? Well, that was one, certainly. We were doing development runs with uh, Thrust 2 on uh, the runway at Greenham Common in uh, near Newbury in England. And we were just getting the car ready to go back to America to go and run it eventually on the Black Rock Desert in Nevada with all our friends. And I had made a classic mistake. I'd been really busy that morning. I'd been driving all over the country, collecting parachutes and bits and pieces. And um, then we started the driving in the afternoon. And I and what we were doing was really, very simple, was basically uh, running up the car engine, uh, holding it on the brakes, taking it into full afterburner, taking it up to 260 miles an hour, and then stopping it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I said to John Aykroyd, uh, who's our designer, John, I haven't had enough experience this year. I really haven't. I'd like to do one more run. Uh, and John was saying, well, it's late in the day and I'm not sure we should do this. Car's actually working 100%. We're ready to go to America. Everything's together now and you want to do one more run. And anyhow, one, one thing led to another and I persuaded him. And I did this run and I accelerated up the runway and I had a visual marker, which is one of our Jaguar cars, parked alongside the runway. Um, and that was the point at which I should shut down the engine and pull the chutes. And we weren't using our very high quality chutes. We were using some aircraft um, uh, chutes in order to pr- protect ourselves, mm-hmm. in order to pre- uh, prevent the uh, uh, stop wearing out the high speed chutes. And now I got up to um, uh, the, the mark and I missed the mark. 
I don't know, Mark, how the hell I missed that Jaguar, but I did. And I went on accelerating. We were probably doing about 300 miles an hour then. Ooh. And um, the tires, which were um, which I could see from the front wheels, started to go oval-shaped as the wheel, and they started to rub up against the bodyworks and the smoke coming from the front. Yeah. And I suddenly realized we were in terrible trouble. So I sh- thought I'd shut the engine down, but I hadn't. I shut it down to idle, so it's still developing thrust. Oh, no. And uh, we were racing towards the end of the runway at about 300 miles an hour. And the far end of the runway was a very large chasm. <laughs> a chasm? Oh, my yeah, gosh. That's right. Oh. Um, was somewhere they'd been digging rock out of it. It was, um, And we raced towards this. I put the car sideways at over 200 miles an hour and onto the grass and um, fortunately brought it to a stop. Oh, my gosh. And we had uh, one guy on board who was responsible for all the parachutes, Mike Barrett. And Mike got out of it very sort of (laughs) white-faced. Yeah. And, of course, um, uh, you know, we were in a terrible mess. We'd wrecked the engine. um, We'd uh, wrecked the car. And somehow we'd still got to go to America. And the team sort of fell apart, completely fell apart. And um, so we took a break for about a week. And they were very, very angry with me. It was my incompetence that had caused this. And um, and then we set about putting it all together again. And Mike Barrett, who was the um, – Mike's sadly no longer with us now, but he was the guy in the seat, in the spare seat. Mike um, sort of led the team. Come on, we'll get this thing done. And they, they pulled the car apart and they started rebuilding it. And then we had an extraordinary situation with the jet engine because uh, the jet engine had, had sucked in stones and earth and was damaged. And um, uh, the guys at the RAF station up north at Pembroke said, we'd like to see it. So could, we'd never seen an engine damaged as badly as that. And um, it was going to cost me, uh, ooh, I don't know, three or $400 to send it up there. And uh, I was, we were desperately short of money and in huge trouble. And then I thought, this is not the time to lose your friends. So uh, yeah. I said, oh. and I started to hunt around to try and get a replacement engine because I'd mentally written off the engine. And um, suddenly I got this call from, um, from Benbrook, from, from John who said, uh, listen, he said, um, uh, what do we do with the engine now? We've had a look at it. And I said, well, um, you know, it's it's scrap, isn't it? So it's got to go to a scrapyard, whatever you guys in the military do with your scrap. And he said, now, why do you want to do that, Richard, when uh, the engine bay has worked nights to rebuild your engine and the queen has paid for the parts? Mm. <laughs> Wasn't that fantastic? Yes. We're able to keep going. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. Well, you know. You just never know who may come to your rescue. Uh, All you do is reach out and ask for a little bit of help. You're so right, Mark. You're so right. Yes. Now, this may be a silly question, but when we're talking about taking risks, we're talking about challenges. Did you have any challenges in writing this book or did it just come pretty easy to you? It came pretty easy, really. I think that um, what I've got to do is keep it focused because... We'd um, there'd been a lot of films and documentaries and so on about the uh, about breaking the sound barrier, and the team had got tremendous exposure, personal exposure from that. And I was very keen that they did. You know, so it wasn't just seen as a as a, as a one or two man operation. I tried to get as much coverage for everybody in it as I possibly could. But this was a problem with the book because I was going to focus on all the people who had helped us. In other words, these were the sponsors. Therefore, I'd have to focus on this. And only just mention the team members like Andy Green occasionally. Mm-hmm. So it required quite a bit of discipline. 
No doubt. Well, as most books do, and I've interviewed hundreds of authors here. You know, speaking of great people, I want to shout out to uh, Judy Stropus and the friends at Avro Books here because they're the publishers, and she's brought yeah. me so many interesting people. Uh, I had the, the pleasure of meeting her a couple times during Pebble Beach Car Week when we could go to such oh, activities. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, yeah, she's a uh, shout out to you, Judy. Thanks for all your help. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I'm going to dive into your personal past history here a little bit mm. and learn a little bit more about you uh, maybe way back when. So sit tight, keep your seatbelts on. We're going to thank our sponsors and we will be right back. What do you do after running a race team for 27 years with over 100 professional wins, multiple wins at the 24 hour of Daytona and a win at Le Mans? Well, if you're Kevin Buckler, a racer and the racing group's team owner, you create Adobe Road Winery. Located in Petaluma, California, he and his team have created a winning combination with the Racing Series, four ultra-premium red wine blends that are in a class of their own. Like racing, these wines comprise of art, precision, engineering, science, and a whole lot of fun. You can choose from four blends titled Redline, Apex, Shift, and the 24. Today I'm going to tell you about Redline. It's a rich and complex blend delivering a taste of ripe blackberries, black cherry licorice, and a hint of toasty oak. An added very cool option is that this features the world's first interactive wine label. That's right. When you pour the wine, the three-dimensional tachometer actually hits the red line. It's incredible. The Racing Series is a killer gift for the automotive enthusiast in your life, and I've got a deal for you. If you use the code CARSYEAH, all one word in all caps. When you go to checkout, you'll get $10 off any purchase of wines from the racing series. The wine ships promptly and arrives quickly right at your door. Use the code CARSYEAH at checkout for $10 off of your purchase today. There's always a seat at the table for excellence with the racing series. Go to adoberoadwines.com and use the code CARSYEAH to save $10 today. Cheers! Let's take a pit stop from the conversation and talk about my charity of choice here at Cars Yeah, America's Automotive Trust. America's Automotive Trust is a group of like-minded nonprofits working together to preserve and promote car culture across the country. Together, they provide scholarships and grants to aspiring technicians and restoration artists. They provide youth education programs and bring communities together through auto-related events, car shows, and drives. One of those nonprofits is very near and dear to my heart because it's right down the road from the Cars Yeah headquarters. It's the LeMay America's Car Museum in Tacoma, Washington. One of the world's truly great automobile collections and one of those must-see bucket list destinations for car people like you and me. If you haven't seen it, I hope you make a trip soon. And if you have seen it, it's probably time to visit again. To learn more about this fantastic museum, go to www.americascarmuseum.org. And while you're there, you can donate to help them keep their engines running. That's www.americascarmuseum.org. My favorite collector car magazine is Keith Martin's Sports Car Market. I've been a subscriber for decades. Sports Car Market is the Wall Street Journal for enthusiasts and collectors. It's your monthly must-read, whether you dream of owning a collector car, maybe you have two, or maybe you've got 200. Sports Car Market has been around for 31 years, and it's filled with valuable articles, intelligent write-ups, 
and the latest auction sales. Go to sportscarmarket.com and subscribe today. Here's a couple deals I have for you just for listening here on Cars Yeah. If you use the checkout code Cars Yeah, you'll receive a 50% discount on your digital subscription at Sports Car Market. That's an exclusive offer from Cars Yeah. And guess what? Here's another deal. If you'd like to get the actual magazine, use the code BSH for buy, sell, hold. That's code BSH. And you'll get $10 off your annual print subscription. That's right. $10 off. Both of these are exclusive offers here at Cars Yeah for Sports Car Market Magazine. Just go to sportscarmarket.com and get your deals today. All right, we are back. And, you know, I like to ask my guests to tell me a little story that instigated their personal passion with automobiles. In your case, perhaps it's with just going fast, wanting to go fast, wanting to take risks. Uh, what was that pivotal moment in your life, Richard, when you knew that you were going to be a bit of a car guy? Well, it's uh, it's an interesting situation. It started actually in... Um, 1952 and uh, I was a little boy of six and my dad was in the army in Scotland and he took us for a family drive in a Hillman Minx car around the north side of Loch Ness that long thin 20 mile lock in the middle of northern Scotland and we came to a place called uh, Drum the Drocket where there's a pier called Temple Pier and we saw a large number of people just standing there looking over the edge so we stopped to look over the edge, too, and there was John Cobb's jet boat, Crusader. Ooh. And he was after the world water speed record with the first ever jet-powered boat. I mean, this was a fantastic thing. And even today, you know, if you saw a picture of this, you'd realize it's what a futuristic, brilliant thing. <laughs> and I just wondered how this guy could somehow put something like this together. Then I then researched him and I found that he held the world land speed record. His world record lasted for at least 16 years. He was an incredible achiever. And I then realized that there was the world land speed record, which is rather faster than the water speed record. And I thought, now that's much more interesting. So let's focus on that. And, uh, and of course, one thing led to another. And before long, I'd got to get going and do it. And I had no experience <laughs> I was not an engineer. I was just a, an amateur saying, let's put something together and get it done. Wow. It's tremendous. And I'm absolutely indebted to people like John Aykroyd, who, who designed Thrust 2, who came up with a very sensible design, which actually achieved its design speed. Most land speed record cars never dis- achieve their design speed, but John's did. Wow. And I'm uh, very proud of that. We got to within seven miles an hour of takeoff, so I'm very glad to be here. Uh, well, uh, absolutely. And I always love to hear with that moment of spark in a young lad's eye. I mean, you were pretty young when, when that happened to you. You know, everybody has that moment when uh, it kind of gets in the back of your skull and sets a tone for the rest of your life. I always like to ask my guests about their first really special vehicle. Now, this could be a first car, it could be a first bike, or in your case, it could be the most special vehicle you ever strapped yourself into to go fast. <laughs> uh, what might that be for you? Well, there are lots of them, aren't there? But yeah. um, I'll start at the beginning. Uh, the first was my uh, my first car. Mm-hmm. My dad had said to me, um, my boy, he said, I'm going to buy you a car one day. And of course, um, so I kept on sort of giving him brochures on lotuses and things. <laughs> of course, yeah. But uh, this didn't work. And he, he had intention, his intention was to buy, a, buy me a very simple Ford. So I thought I'd jump the gun. And I went to the local scrapyard and I found the most wonderful car. I mean, a really wonderful car, which was a 1936 Jaguar SS. 
Uh, and uh, Jag, sorry, Jaguar um, two. Uh, oh God, SS two. That's right. Oh, the that's SS two. Okay, all right. Yep. And um, so I bought this for fifteen quid. So say twenty five dollars. <laughs> yeah. And um, it was terrific. We had such fun with it. We'd go to with friends. We'd pile in and go to the races in it, and so on with this long body and uh, long bonnet and the wheels, the spare wheel beside the bonnet. And when you got inside, it got lovely leather and the Blumen steering wheel and the beautiful, beautiful gearbox. What a super thing! That was great. That car to me looks like an like a stretched out expanded MGT series on steroids or something. Yeah, you're about right. It's just, uh, but uh, they got it absolutely right. It was a Swallow sidecar company in its day, mm. hence the SS, and uh, it was it was absolutely super. My next one is my Land Rover. Oh, okay. and I wanted to see. I've been working for a large corporation, and um, I got sort of a bit fed up with it because I hadn't really seen the world, and I wanted to see the world. Um, so I bought a, a Series 2 Land Rover in 1959. I was trained by, by Land Rover, and I rebuilt it, collected a whole lot of people, and we drove from London to Cape Town across the Sahara Desert. Oh, my gosh. Through the Congo, yeah, and all the way down to Cape Town, where I worked uh, well, with some friends um, on, in a hotel in Rondebosch in Cape Town. And then we collected another team of people, and we drove up East Africa, shipped across to India, and then came home um, via India and Afghanistan and so oh on. What a terrific machine. I mean, absolutely unbelievable. And, uh, yeah, it was really good. You know, Dos Equis picked the wrong guy for their ads. Uh, the world's most <laughs> interesting man. They should have just called you. They could have. <laughs> I mean, this is really a telling tale. And it, it's fun as I talk with people and I talk to a lot of people that they tell these stories because this opens the door to the adventurer that you have in your spirit uh, to go yeah. out there and live life and do things. I mean, not too many people yeah. would buy a 59 Land Rover Series 2 and take off across uh, northern and then head into southern Africa and then back up to the Middle Eastern part of the world. And oh, my gosh. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's great car. Yeah. And it's still around. Somebody else found it the other day, actually. Well, those things aren't, they're not allowed to die. They don't die. They're not allowed to die. It's the greatest car you can get. <laughs> yeah. They just live another life with somebody else as being the caretaker. That's right. This kind of segues into a great question. And I'm really, really interested to hear how you answer this. I'll bet no one's ever asked you this question, Richard. And you've been interviewed by a lot of people. If you woke up tomorrow and you were manifest as a vehicle. Now, this isn't what you want to be. This is how you perceive your attributes as a human being manifest into a car. Metal, rubber, wood, whatever it might be, oil. What would Richard Noble be, and more importantly, why? Well, there's a car that I really love and a car that I really want, but I can't afford it, <laughs> which is a Ferrari F40. Okay, yeah. I would like to have one of those. That is the, uh, the uh, it's a very crude Ferrari by uh, today's standards, mm -hmm. but it's absolutely got no electronics, no electronic assist. And as a driver, you've really got to drive it. But unfortunately, I have a real problem, Mark, which is I'm always being done for speeding. <laughs> yes. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it's kind of got that, hasn't it? Uh -huh. it? The fundamental problem is if you've driven very, very fast, which is what I have, you can do it. Yeah. And you can do it in complete safety. And the problem is that, of course, um, you know, I have a real problem with performance cars. I can't have a performance car on the road. Otherwise, um, I'm, in, I'm, uh, I'm in trouble. Yeah. 
I'm always getting caught speeding, so it's always very difficult. <laughs> okay. So the solution to this okay. is to have a car which I can't get caught speeding in. All right. All right. So I have a, a 2007 Golf. Okay. With uh, what are we? 260,000 miles on the clock. Wow. And um, that's what I drive. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, a guy's got to know his limitations, at least when it comes to the street. And with as many crazy people that are distracted these days, probably best not to be going uh, very fast on the streets because nobody's paying attention anymore. But the Ferrari F40, man, what a spectacular car. Basically a Formula One car with a street body tied to the top exactly. of it, analog to the T, and I've had the luxury of driving one once. Not oh, you in, have. I have. Yeah, yeah, not at high speed. The owner was with me, and it was the city street, so I couldn't really get into it. However, uh, there was a few little things where he said, okay, stand on it here. And uh, for yep. me, that car just... It awoken when you got on the gas. It became a whole nother beast. And it, you could see how you could you could kill yourself in that thing if you weren't careful. Yeah. Yeah. Not much around you either. A lot of carbon. Absolutely. And that, that's about it. Real McCoy, isn't it? <laughs> it's an amazing vehicle. Yeah. It's so beautiful. So beautiful. Well, Richard, we're going to enter what I call the last lap. Or I'm going to fire off a serious question, but ask you to give me some quick blips of that Ferrari F40 throttle, which sounds <laughs> oh so good. So here we go. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to all the adventures and the successes you've had in life? Yeah. Um, Mark, I hate failure. Mm. And so consequently, whenever we do, whenever I do anything, I've got to follow it through in, in great depth all the time. You know, I'm risk. I, I've got to be sure that, um, you know, we, we're, we're making the right decisions. I've, everything's got to be checked, double checked. I've got a thousand hours of flying aircraft and it's the same thing. Yeah. You've got to absolutely make sure that everything is together before you leave the ground. And um, this is absolutely crucial. And now, of course, I've got this patrol boat. And again, it's the same thing. <laughs> yes. It goes quite fast. It does over 40 miles an hour. Ooh. And um, it'll go in almost any kind of weather. So it's a wonderful thing. Wow. You're going to have to send me a picture of that when you get it done. I want to see see that thing yeah, in the I'll water. Yeah, it sounds yeah, fantastic. Well, tenacity, persistence, and grit. I'll put those down as uh, why Richard Noble succeeds in life, that's for sure. And a spark for adventure, of course. If I could arrange for you to sit down and have a drink or a meal with anyone, in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that individual be and why? Well, there's only one, and that's John Cobb. Mm. John Cobb was the record breaker's record breaker. Mm. Uh, he was an amazing man. He held the out, uh, out, outright world, uh, lap record at Brooklyn's, um, which was just absolutely extraordinary. He's flying most of the time. Um, he <laughs> held the world land speed record. He worked with a brilliant guy called Reed, Reed Railton, who was his designer, and he enabled his designer to gave his designer great freedom in terms of the design of the vehicles that he designed. And the Railton Mobile Special is one of the most beautiful land speed record cars ever built. I would love to sit down with this guy. Um, I'd love to spend time with him and um, and learn, you know, what made him tick. It's terrific. Yeah, it would be fantastic. When it comes to automotive advice that someone else has ever offered you, and we could apply this to your land speed records or any aspect of your life, what would that advice be? Oh, that is very, very difficult question <laughs> because basically – uh, to do a world land speed record car, you have to innovate. You have to innovate on an enormous scale, Mark. And it's a, it's a bit difficult to explain this, but 
you're innovating on top of innovations on top of innovations. Mm. Because if you produce something which is very similar to what other people have done, uh, you won't get a world record or you'll be very lucky to get a world record. Mm -hmm. What you've got to do is push the boundaries as far as you possibly can. And, uh, and the classic, of course, was Thrust SSC with the two huge Rolls-Royce Spey engines. It's steered by its rear wheels. It is a huge machine, um, 16 meters long, weighs 10 and a half tons, got 100,000 horsepower. Uh, it was driven by a very brave guy, Andy Green. And uh, that enabled us to get the first ever supersonic land speed record. So, um, you know, that's what it is. It's about innovation and pushing and pushing and pushing for the, the solutions. When I look at the uh, Thrust SSC pictures in your book, which led me to Google it and investigate more, it's beyond any thing you could ever imagine. It's just it's just full on nuts. I mean, just incredible. And then to hear you say it's the rear, you know, the way the rear, uh, the the steering went with the rear, and I mean, yeah, everything was different. Everything was reinvented. Absolutely. That was the only way you can do a world record. You've got to produce something really different to, to what has gone before. Wow. And of course, our record was 633, and the um, thrust SSC record, which followed it, was 763. So we put 130 miles an hour on. Ugh. Biggest in, in land speed record history. Uh, those numbers, like I can't even imagine. Just incredible. Now, how about a resource? Is there a, a go-to resource that you're really fond of these days? Well, what we've always done is to try and share these product, projects as widely as we can because we are pushing the boundaries in terms of, uh, of engineering. And um, we've got a big shortage of engineers in our country. And you guys have got exactly the same problem and we need them. Yep. And um, so we've run education programs. And the Bloodhound Education Program went to 200 countries. And we were engaging with, in UK with about 120,000 um, students every year. It was an enormous thing. Wow. And hopefully, it's generated a few engineers. Unfortunately, we had a big problem with the UK government, who went and defaulted on the contract. And, um, and that lost us our huge Chinese sponsor. Uh, the Chinese were terrific. They really were terrific. We were great friends. But the government went and um, uh, and failed to follow through on its offer. And the result of which was the Chinese were left to, to sort of support the project. Mm -hmm. And they decided that if the British government wasn't going to support it, then they weren't going to. So everything else sort of collapsed around us. Eventually, the Secretary of State for Industry apologized to me for his department's failure and corrected it. But by that time, Britain was in terrible trouble with Brexit and everything else, and there was no spare money. So we had to put the car, the project into administration, which is very sad. Mm, but that. it's been bought by a guy called Ian Warhurst, and I think he's going to turn up again fairly shortly. And uh, hopefully he'll take it through to its target of 1,000 miles an hour, which is what we set up. Wow. Well, I hope so. When that happens, let me know, because I have a show notes page I'll build for you on my website where people can come to and learn more. And we'll make sure we put links to that uh, so that they can access that and learn more about that. Right. I always ask my guests about a book. Obviously, we're talking about the book Take a Risk today. I uh, want to make sure that I put a link to that so all you listeners can get your hands on it. Very easy to find in all your usual places, but I'll put a link there. You can get to it really quick. Is there another book that you perhaps might want to share with my listeners that you're really fond of? I've just got an enormous library. Um, <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> whenever we're doing anything... Um, doing any projects or whatever, I buy every single book I possibly can on the subject. Um, and so I couldn't possibly choose one. But um, some of the great American presidents really fascinate me. 
in particular, the extraordinary um, achievement of Jack Kennedy. I think he was astonishing. It was just unfortunate that he got uh, that he got assassinated. But it's extraordinary what he actually achieved in his very limited time. I know. I've always wondered what would have happened. What would have happened? Uh, well, I'll tell you what I'll put here. So I'm going to put a link to Evro, uh, the publishers of this oh, great book. Oh, please do. Yeah. yeah, because they've been so kind to me. They've sent me so many great books, so many great authors to have on this show. So I'll make sure to put a link there to my friends there at Evro because they do a absolutely marvelous job. And you can find all these resources on the Cars yeah website. Just go to CarsYow.com, type in Richard Noble, and his page will pop right up. All right, Richard, along with this fast ride comes a bit of a prize at the end here, what I call the checkered flag. But this question <laughs> can be a bit of a doozy. I'm going to buy you any cool, fun collector car today. But there are a couple rules to this game because I, I kind of know the kind of guy you are. One of them is you can't sell this car and fund your next project. So that little trick is off the table. You've got to keep it. I want you to drive it. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to obey the speed laws when you're driving it, though, since you've <laughs> given us up that little uh, aspect of your personality. But here's the kicker. It's the only one cool car you can park in your garage. Take your daily drivers out of the picture, but I don't think uh, I'm going to worry about that golf. So what car can I buy for Richard Noble today? Mark, it's very simple. It's that Ferrari F40. I would love to work on that car, to take it all apart, to polish it, <laughs> drive it. That would be my dream, yeah. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Now, just so I get you the right one, do you have a color preference? It's got to be red, isn't it? Russell red. It's got to yeah. be yeah. Ferrari red. Yeah, I think it has to be, absolutely. I have seen those in a couple of unique colors. I saw one in silver, and it actually looked pretty stunning. Yeah, I bet it I've seen one in black. Uh, mm -hmm. And then um, there was one I saw once that was in kind of a green color, which was like, oh, that's really different. But yep. yeah, red works for the Ferrari F40. Richard, you've taken me on a very fast, fun ride. I would love nothing more to sit down with you in person and spend a whole afternoon buying you drinks and meals and just listening to you tell stories. <laughs> Maybe one day when we're all out of lockdown, I can do that. I want to thank you for sharing your journey. But before I let you go, would you offer our listeners one little bit of wisdom and guidance before you speed off into the sunset at a thousand miles an hour in that, well, maybe not the Ferrari F40, but something? Well, it's very simple. It's a wonderful world we live in. There are some absolutely brilliant people out there. And if you can put together a project um, that excites them and gets their involvement and moves them away from the sort of day-to-day -day stale work that most people are doing at the moment, that is just fantastic. And you will live a life that is just so damn exciting. Yes, absolutely. Always Richard, or always remember, I should say what Richard says, take risk. Yeah. You won't be unhappy. Is there a way for people to keep uh, up with you? Do you have a website? Do you have a place where people can go and see what you're up to? Well, we're looking at the world water speed record at the moment. We're going to try and introduce very advanced new technology into that. The wow. record hasn't been broken since uh, 1978. And uh, we're developing that at the moment. And there's a website called Railton Water Speed. And uh, so if people would like to go into that, they can they can see what we're doing. Wow. And uh, it's just a very interesting because the designer of John Cobb's Crusader of 1952 was very upset when there was the accident and uh, Cobb was killed. And um, he designed, spent 18 months at his home in California uh, designing the next 300-mile-an-hour water speed record boat in 1954. Oh, my you know, gosh. Think of this. 
Yeah. And, uh, and of course, unfortunately, he wasn't able to get the, uh, the Brits to fund it. And so um, it became a, um, um, a, a, a kind of dead project. But he got as far as the models, uh, the, uh, the tank test models and mm-hmm. the wind tunnel model. And I've got one of those. And so what we've done is we've, um, we've, we've scanned it. We've built, uh, we're starting to build jet models of it. And we've actually got it running, which is really good. Oh, my gosh. So we're beginning to learn the game right from the beginning. Yeah. And then we want to develop it much, much further and try and produce a really exciting boat. No doubt. I have a feeling the word retirement does not come into play when one says Richard <laughs> Noble. Uh, nor should it come into the play of anyone in life. Um, you know what? So right, Mark. Yes, keep taking Thomas risks. Is dead. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, again, I would encourage all you listeners to get your hands on this book. It's a really fun read. It's going to entice you to have more fun in your life and take risk, and you never know where that risk may take you. I guarantee you, though, based on Richard's life, it will take you somewhere very, very special. Richard, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your amazing life. Boy, after I hang up, I got to go out and take a little risk or I'm going to feel a little inferior here. Until you and I talk again, I will see you, my friend, down the road. Mark, thank you so much for your time and for researching all this. And um, I'm looking forward to that drink we're going to have one day. Absolutely. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. Thank you. If you're listening to Cars Yeah, you've probably spent some time working on your favorite ride. But how confident are you working on your finances? You may be able to rebuild a fuel injection system, but can you decipher the details of a mutual fund? If you're like me, investments, insurance, annuities, budgeting, and other financial concepts may seem a bit daunting, but what if I told you there's a book that describes these subjects and more in an easy-to-read and a very humorous way? My friend Chris Kimball, CFP, a longtime sponsor and past guest here on Cars yeah, has written that book, and it's titled The Saga of Ike and Penny, a couple's humorous journey through the confusing world of finance. It's a fun look at things you need to know, everything from investing to effective ways to get rid of credit card debt, and it's probably the only book on finance with a VMAX on the front cover and a classic Mini Cooper on the back. The book's available at Amazon for just $10, and this book will dramatically improve the direction of your financial future. I gave copies to each of my children. All securities are through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Christopher Kimball Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Get your copy, The Saga of Ike and Penny, today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!